Welcome back to Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's conversation is my good friend, Sal Stefano. He is the co-host of Mind Pump Radio, and uh, he's the author of Resistance Training Revolution. This conversation gets into how to get jacked and tanned while maintaining functionality, also touching on some tips and tricks to boost muscle gain, boost power, um, endurance, just getting the most out of that sweet, sultry, supple meat suit of yours. You also get into all sorts of stuff. Sal's, his mind is, is great. I'm a big fan. And I think you guys are going to enjoy this conversation. I so greatly appreciate you guys leaving reviews on iTunes. I want to read a review from the beautiful Miss Jessa Vu. I presume you're a gal, Jessa. I presume you're also beautiful. Uh, love, exclamation point. Really love the topics in this podcast. Daily movement is so important to overall health. His book is very good as well. Practical, easy tips to keep moving as you age. Thank you very much, Jessa Vu. Very kind. Um, thank you all for subscribing to this. If you want to keep on getting these episodes updated into your phones, you don't miss them. We drop these every Thursday. Um, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. That's it. That's all. Back to the show with my guy, Sal D. Stefan. Did you have a morning erection today, Sal? Thank you for asking, uh, Aaron. Nobody ever asked me that. I always feel like, <laughs> I'm always like, why isn't anybody asking me this question? Yes, I did. Thank you. Nice. Yeah. That's good. I'm going somewhere with this, Sal. Okay. Morning wood, indication of health, vitality. Yeah. Uh, functional hormone, hormonal levels. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that. It's okay. All joking aside, 100% yeah. on point that morning erection or lack thereof can be in a pretty decent sign that you may have some health issues going on, including issues with the heart, the arteries, blood flow. Of course, there could be some mental issues that are causing that stress and anxiety. And then testosterone, is your testosterone low or is your free testosterone low? Is, it, is, is, the, is it your testosterone bound up? That could be an early sign of that. Mm -hmm. And then training becomes a conversation that as well, like, you know, high intensity training or interval training, or maybe more like cardiovascular, you know, you're training for a marathon or you're doing heavy weightlifting, yeah. all of that's going to inform your internal chronology. Yeah. Overtraining is a, I mean, low libido is a, is a very clear sign of overwork. It's one of the clear signs of overtraining, overworking. Yeah. So what, what was the impetus to put this, put the, uh, the resistance training revolution, your book, when, what was the impetus to put that put together? You know, that's I'm so been, I'm so excited. You finally did a book. Ah, uh, thank you. I appreciate We've that. Been talking so, about for freaking years. Yeah. I know. So I had the idea for a long time because the, you know, obviously I've worked in the fitness and health space for I don't know, 24 years now, and I've trained a lot of people either directly or by proxy through trainers that have worked for me or members in my gyms. And it's always been an issue is that there's always been this very interesting stigma and stereotype around resistance training. It's, you know, it's for meatheads. If you're a woman, if you do it, you're going to build huge muscles and look like a man. It's not great for mobility. It's not great for heart health. It's not great for longevity in general. That's a that's a, a myth or, or stigma surrounding resistance training. And so I, I thought to myself, and this is something, again, I've been thinking this for the last at least 10 years. I would really like to write a book that can communicate to the average person, so not talking to the fitness fanatic, but rather the average person, about the, the real values of resistance training and provide the literature, science, and, and evidence to support a lot of the things that I'll say in the book, but also to say it in a way to where it's very understandable and easy to apply. Um, and so that was the goal, right? That's That's been the goal for a long time. Put it on the back burner for a long time, obviously started Mind Pump with my partners and 
having a lot of fun doing this. And there's a lot of things that we do here. So we'll get real busy. And a publisher actually approached me and, and asked if I had an idea for a book. And I said, oh yeah, I, I've been having this, I had this idea for a long time. And I pitched them the idea and they said, this is great. And so they published this book and I was able to put it out and, um, and it's doing really well. And, and I do think that the time is right for this stigma and stereotype to change. I actually think it's already on its way to do that. So much has already changed since I started in the fitness space around resistance training. And now we have the science and the studies to back it up. Whereas, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't have very many studies on, you know, strength training or resistance training in regards to longevity or hormone health or mobility. Um, we just didn't have them. You know, all the studies that were done on exercise, if you were a researcher and you wanted to study exercises, you know, how it impacts your health, you chose cardiovascular activity. That was the one form of exercise all studies were kind of done on. And they showed benefit and all that stuff. But because of the lack of studies, resistance training was always kind of in that background. And then, of course, you have popular media, which when it, whenever it displays somebody that does resistance training or strength training, it's this extreme version, this massive bodybuilder or this woman that's on anabolic steroids. And people just don't relate to that. And so it just further perpetuated the stereotypes and stigma surrounding it. But now we have the studies and they're remarkable. And we've had, now the fitness industry has been around long enough to where people are starting to say, hey, wait a minute, this is actually a very effective and valuable form of exercise. And I make the argument in the book, now you also are a health and fitness expert, so you know as well as I do that the perfect routine really encompasses a lot, right? It's not just strength training. It incorporates, there's, there's going to be a cardiovascular component and a mobility and flexibility component and a mindfulness component. But when you look at the average person in modern societies, the average person is probably not ever going to have a structured workout routine that's five days a week. It's just, it's probably not going to happen. I think what we could hope for is to really convince people to do two or three days a week of structured exercise. I'm talking in forever terms, not just short term, but long term forever. You know, I'm talking about my aunt, right? Who, who never works out or the guy down the street. And in the context of being surrounded by very inexpensive, hyper palatable food that's easily accessible and, and also a lifestyle that's very sedentary. And the, when you look at that context, if you only picked one form of exercise that was the most effective at com combating those things, right? Nothing's perfect on its own, but if we had to pick one and we only had a couple days a week to get people to do something forever, resistance training is, is one of the best. It's just so effective at uh, yeah. at doing all those things. Yeah. I like the concept or the idea of thinking of muscles kind of like endocrine organs, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to just being exclusively like a pulley system to get us from point A to point B or, you know, pick up a, a dumbbell or burrito, but they're, they're much more integrated into the entirety of our physiology than that, you know, so that they're, they're supportive for cognitive function, supportive for production, things like growth hormone and, you know, over, it's like a prophylactic for most things, having a, a well-constituted muscular body. Um, you know, so I'm curious from your lens, like what is it about muscle that's so darn supportive for our health? Yeah, that's a good question. So let's start with the the hormonal aspects of of muscle. So we'll start first with insulin. Insulin is a, you know, it's a hormone I think we talk a lot about in the health space, especially considering, you know, in the context of obesity and insulin resistance, diabetes, and all of the downstream effects of that. Alzheimer's has been strongly connected to insulin you know, issues and so forth and dementia as well, right? Muscle is a very insulin sensitive tissue. In fact, 
if you want to improve your sensitivity to insulin, one of the most effective things you could do is build a little bit of muscle. So there's actually studies where they'll take the like obese people. So people who are in the kind of super obese category. They have them lose no weight whatsoever and they have them build a little bit of muscle. And we see these significant improvements in insulin sensitivity. There was a study done out of Sydney, Australia on Alzheimer's and they found that strength training was the only, to date, the only non-medical intervention that's been shown to stop the progression of the beta amyloid plaques that cause that we believe to cause uh, Alzheimer's. And they think it has to do with that insulin sensitizing effect. As I'm sure you're aware, Alzheimer's has been referred to as type 3 diabetes by you know some researchers. Uh, let's talk about the other hormones, right? Testosterone. Testosterone, responsible for many functions in the body. Hold, can, I, can I stop something in sure. relation to the Alzheimer's and the amyloid beta stuff? Um, is that specifically associated to the resistance training yes. itself? Or is it some correlate to the person being able to sleep better because that's you know that's a big conversation they that. they connected it to strength training and it was the um and they did have a control group and it, it was a pretty well-made study i actually put it in the book so you you know we could take a look at it but it was uh, pretty groundbreaking in that space because to date again there's very little non-medical uh, interventions that have really been able to, in, in fact, towards the end of the study, they said there was a trend that suggested even a, the beta amyloid plaques, not only were they not making more, but it was actually going back and, you know, getting better, if you will. And again, they, some of the researchers attributed that to the insulin sensitizing effect. And wow. then with, when it comes to testosterone, you know, testosterone is responsible for many functions in the body. And one of them is to, is, is driver of strength in muscle. Um, growth hormone is another hormone that you know, through some indirect means will also help with building muscle and strength. We call that the youth hormone. And when you're sending the signal to your body to build strength and build muscle, what happens is, and if everything's done right, right? So you got decent sleep and you're eating okay, and then you start doing some strength training. What you're doing is you're sending a signal to the body that says, hey, we need more strength and we need more muscle. And what your body does is it organizes its hormones in a way to help make this happen. So what does this look like in the scientific literature? Well, resistance training or strength training is really one of the only forms of exercises that will reliably raise testosterone in men. Other forms of exercise, if they improve health overall, sometimes we could see a rise in testosterone. In some cases, we see it lowering testosterone. Lots of cardiovascular activity, for example, has been shown in studies to, to lower testosterone in men. And that might be through a different mechanism, which we could talk about a little later on. But resistance training or strength training reliably raises testosterone. And by the way, this doesn't it doesn't matter if your testosterone is low, middle, in the middle, or high. We tend to see this consistent rise. And we also see this upregulation of, uh, of, uh, of the, the receptors that testosterone attaches to, right? So these, uh, these androgen receptors. And androgen receptors are like the locks that the hormone keys unlock and start to exert their effects. And the more androgen receptors you have, the more effective uh, or potent your testosterone is in that particular sense. In fact, they've shown in studies that testosterone levels aren't nearly as important in terms of how well your body responds to exercise as your receptor, androgen receptor density. That makes a bigger difference. So you have more receptors. And resistance training just increases these as your body really organizes itself to start to build strength and muscle. You see growth hormone becoming more youthful, cortisol levels becoming a little bit more balanced. Again, this has to do with the proper application. In women, you see a balancing of estrogen and progesterone. So essentially, with muscle, when you're telling your body to build strength and build muscle, 
Remember, this is a very expensive tissue. It's one of the more expensive tissues in the body in relation to how many, how much energy and nutrients this tissue needs, not just to build, but to support, right? The, we could probably on a pound for pound basis call the brain the most expensive, one of the most expensive tissues, right? And organs are up there as well, but muscle is very uh, expensive, especially when you compare it to fat. And so when your body is building muscle, it's essentially saying, okay, we are going to require more nutrients. We're going to burn more calories. We're going to speed up our metabolism. And we feel okay doing this. We, we're getting the signal that this is important. And so it moves your body out of this kind of stress, save and store state, right? Because now my body's building muscle and it's saying, hey, everything's cool. We can burn more calories and we can organize our hormones to procreate and do all these things that you know muscle signifies to the body. So when it comes to hormone balancing, building muscle is a, is a tremendously effective, natural way of getting some of those, uh, those youthful hormone levels back. And so, yeah, I love the way you said that you, you know, you kind of referred it to as a endocrine system yeah. somewhat in the body. I, I think I that's absolutely brand, yeah. true. It's also, um, extremely functional in the sense that, you know, it's, it moves us. It's what, uh, allows our bodies to do what they do. And, you know, again, when I'm referring to strength training, I, th I think sometimes people think of the extreme versions of this, the bodybuilder, right? Or the powerlifter. And I do want to be clear that any physical pursuit can become unhealthy when it's extreme. And I don't care what that physical pursuit is. So I don't think we should look at bodybuilders as, oh, when he's speaking of strength training, that's what he's talking about. It's not what I'm talking about, although that's their primary form of exercise. I'm talking about the average person who's like, hey, I have, you know, for a, from a, from a long-term perspective, I'm going to work out maybe twice a week, okay? Structured. I'm going to have structured workouts twice a week. What form of exercise is going to really do the most for me and protect me the most from obesity, insulin resistance, uh, injury? What's going to provide me with longevity? You know, they now have a marker. There's actually a, a test that you can take that will predict all-cause mortality better than almost any other single marker. So on a one-to-one -one basis, if we compare this one test to any other marker, it, for the most part, will predict long, uh, your all-cause mortality better. And that one test is a simple strength test, a grip test. They've shown this. Like A simple grip strength test will tell them more than individual blood markers or other tests. Yep. So it's, it's, strength is very important um, and what, what we're, what's happened now in, in modern societies really is we've become weaker and our metabolisms are kind of slowing down as a result, which may, was a very, very difficult position to be in when you're surrounded by all this incredible food like we are here in these modern societies. Weight gain and obesity becomes really easy. Our hormones start to kind of get out of whack as a result. We know that there's this testosterone epidemic with men. We've actually been observing this for decades and there's lots of reasons that they think that are causing that, but, um, it's, you know, resistance training, it's just, it's just this great form of exercise. And again, the goal is to destigmatize it and educate the average person because the average person, even men, if your doctor says, Hey, your blood lipids are not looking so good. I think you should go exercise. Most men, everyday men don't think to themselves, I'll go lift weight, you know, or I'll go do some strength training. They tend to think I'm going to go run or cycle uh, or swim, which those are also great. But in comparison, head to head, especially when, when we're talking about the context that I'm painting, resistance training just got, it's just so, so effective. Yeah.
I want to take a moment and talk a little bit about the effect of blue light on our sleep. I'm sure you guys have heard it before if you're listening to this, um, but blue light jacks your sleep up. So if you're looking into your cell phone before you go to bed, you're watching some Netflix, Euphoria or whatever, Game of Thrones or whatever you're into, that is sending the signal to your eyeballs. The suprachiasmatic nucleus, I believe would be the, the main sensory system receiving that information, sending the signal for you to wake the freak up. And blue blocking glasses is a fantastic solution. And raw optics is my favorite blue blocking glass. That's right. I said it. They're my favorite. I think they're fantastic. I dig their style and check them out. Highly recommend you can jump over to rawoptics.com slash align for a 15% discount and you can shop around and choose a style for you. They truly are rad. They're steezy. They're styly. You could wear them out in public. I do. I wear the yellow ones out in public. Actually, the raw optics is spelled R-A-O-P-T-I-C-S dot com forward slash online. That is raw, R-A-O-P-T-I-C-S dot com forward slash online. 15% discount. These will potentially get you laid. No promises, but you're going to look good. And uh, they're also going to improve your sleep, which, you know, that's good for your libido as well. I don't know how that turned into a libido ad, but there it is. That's it. That's all. Rawoptics.com forward slash online. My next tactic to help me fall asleep is I make a little Organifi Gold Coconut Milk Latte before I go to bed. It is so freaking delicious. Heat up some coconut milk. You could use whatever, macadamia nut milk, almond milk, whatever you're into. Get me against raw milk, that'd be nice. And then I'll put some of Organifi's Gold Rest and Relaxation Blend in there. It has a delicious blend of adaptogenic mushrooms, including turkey tail and reishi. It also has a blend for digestion, so it's great post-dinner. Tastes absolutely delicious. It's one of my favorite things to share with another person or just have myself. And uh, you can get yourself a sweet discount on Organifi Gold Rest and Relaxation Blend by going to Organifi.com forward slash align. That is Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash align. 20% discount if you do not absolutely love this stuff they have 100% money back guarantee. So if it doesn't make you sleep better, if you don't think it's amazing and delicious, you don't want to share it with a friend, get your money back. So you got nothing to lose, Organifi.com forward slash align, 20% off. Pow. Yeah, the, the grip test studies were specifically around cardiovascular health, I think, right? Mm -hmm. That was the, the focus of it. I'm As we're talking, I'm wondering what the specific, like the, the evolutionary story or component with resistance training is to de-stressing the body and causing us to be able to show up in a better cognitive way, yeah. help with longevity and all that. And as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking it's like, it's when we go, when, when we undergo the stress response, we're essentially queuing up our nervous system and our hormonal system and all of our systems to move. And for most of us, when we're stressed out, it's like drinking a bunch of coffee or, you know, looking at a bunch of texts or some kind of bill or something where you're kind of hunched up, you're buried into the stress and your body's sending you every signal and every cue. It's just, it's teeing you up to like bolt, you know, move forward, mm -hmm. you know, EMDR therapy, you're scanning the environment left, right, left, right. You're, you're ambulating, you're, you're, you're moving towards progress. And, uh, I, I wonder if it's in, in like our training environments, we're kind of replicating what we would do if we were in a more natural and quotations environment yeah. Yeah. moving towards progress. Yeah, there's two there's two parts to that I'll I'll comment on because I've thought a lot about that. And I love the I love the evolutionary lens whenever we talk about health and fitness. Because there's a lot you can learn there 
from how our bodies evolved for you know the vast majority of the time that humans have been on Earth. It, it could tell us quite a bit. So there's two parts. One is resistance training is inherently very good at training proprioception. It's very good at making us aware, much more so than most other popular forms of exercise, right? So if I go on a, a run, I can become very repetitive and lost in my thoughts. And, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but resistance training requires when you're in the set to be very present. And, it's, and there's lots of proprioception going on, right? I have to, I can move in a, in a sagittal plane, a frontal plane. I can rotate. I, there's lots of different complex exercises that tell my body and my brain what to do. So there's value in that. But here's the other part that I, I'd like to say, because it's, it is very interesting when we look at resistance training through the evolutionary lens. Now, the truth is humans evolved to do really two things very well physically. If, if you compare us to any other animal. Now, of course, humans are very smart. We're amazing tool makers, right? So that's the number one thing. But if we were to compare ourselves physically, if we were to compete against other animals in physical feats, we would get our butts kicked in almost everything except for two things, running for distance and throwing for accuracy. We're really good at those two things. Like we can, we can run at long distances, at slow paces or trek, and we can pretty much out-trek almost any animal. And this is how modern hunter-gatherers have been observed hunting. They'll throw a spear at an animal and run out, run after it until it gets tired, and then they'll they'll kill it. Persistence training. Persistence, right? right. Persistence so, hunting, right? Yeah, we're really good at that, right? And we're good at throwing with accuracy. I mean, a five-year-old can throw with greater accuracy than any other animal, and that's what made us apex predators, right? We throw spears at things, and we got really good at them. But here's the problem. The problem is, there's two parts to this. One, our lives are so, the average person's life is, is constructed and designed, and we've done a damn good job at this. We're smart, right? We're really smart monkeys. We did a really good job at making life sedentary, like just eliminating all the physical challenge out of life. So in order to move as much as a hunter-gatherer, you would have to, you'd have to somehow construct your life in a way that would probably not work for most people. It just wouldn't because most people's lives, like I said, are constructed at that, not around that. Not only that, but running, a lot of people don't realize this, but it's very true. Running is a skill, okay? There's a oh, skill yeah. to running. And if you stop running right around the age of 10 or 12 or high school, you don't just pick up your running shoes and then go run to exhaustion. You're going to run terrible. This is why running is so closely connected to so many injuries. It's not because humans aren't good runners. We're amazing runners. Just we've lost that skill. So, so it's not necessarily a great way to exercise unless you really take the time to practice and train and understand what you're doing. So, okay, where am I going with this? I think strength training is a great way to buffer and protect us against the challenges of modern life. So I don't think hunter-gatherers were lifting heavy rocks and trying to build as much muscle as possible. I think what they were trying to do was get food, survive, which probably meant they were really good at moving a lot and moving for distance. And they probably developed, and I, I know they did, I'll actually bring up a study that was really interesting. They probably developed very efficient metabolisms where their bodies just didn't burn very many calories, right? Today, what we live in now looks nothing like the past. And to completely try to emulate how we lived back then is just not feasible or realistic for most people. So what we have to do is say, okay, you're going to work out two or three days a week. What's going to protect you the most against all the stuff? And strength and muscle does a phenomenal job of doing that. Phenomenal. It sticks on your body. Now you lose it if you don't use it, but it does stick around for a while. You develop muscle memory, which is phenomenal. So you build some muscle 
takes you a while to do it the first time. You know, it might take a man 10 a year to, to build 10 pounds of muscle initially, but if he loses it, he'll gain it back within a month and a half or two months, right? So you get this incredible effect called muscle memory. It speeds up your metabolism and it's not on a one for, it's not a one to one ratio, meaning it's not just the amount of muscle that you build that speeds up your metabolism, but rather it's the muscle you build and the signal to build muscle that actually because your metabolism or the amount of calories that you burn, it's not a set number with your lean body mass. There's a bit of a range. Here's the more efficient side and here's the less efficient side with the same lean body mass. Well, lifting weights or doing resistance training with your body or bands, it moves the scale over here. Less efficient, less efficient. Even if you don't build a ton of muscle, you actually burn a lot more calories. And a fast metabolism, that was a liability 100,000 years ago. Like you don't want to be the guy who's burning 6,000 calories a day when you're living in the, you know, the, the savannas of Africa or whatever. It's just, you're going to die. You're not going to find that much food. You want to have a very efficient, slow metabolism. Well, today it's the opposite. You want a metabolic rate that's fast, that burns a lot because it, 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 it offers a great layer of protection. For example, if you look at the studies on foods that we would label as unhealthy or let's say sugar, processed sugar or certain fats. And, and we know that they're probably not good for the body. A lot of the damaging effects that those foods cause in the body actually get erased or reduced if you're burning more calories than you're taking in. And now this, it's more complex than that. And it doesn't mean you're going to feel good. It doesn't mean you're not going to be craving them and having crazy appetite. It doesn't mean it's sustainable, but the, it is a fact that you could take somebody and so long as they're hitting their essential nutrients, they could have a high sugar diet, high processed food diet. So long as their calories are lower than they're burning, you'll see improvements in blood markers and improvements in health. Not perfect, but it just goes to show you that that calorie in versus calorie out part of this whole thing is important. And improving or increasing the calorie outside through speeding up your metabolism, which means you burn more calories all the time, right? It means I'm just sitting here and I'm, my metabolism is hotter than it would be had I not sent that signal to build muscle and strength. So now it allows me to live in the modern world and eat a little more and it protects me a little bit. You know, I, I talked about efficient metabolism. There's this remarkable study that was done on a modern hunter-gatherer tribe called the Hadza tribe. These people are, they live in Northern Tanzania and they live, you know, just like we did a hundred thousand years ago. They, they, they live in their huts and they don't have electronics and they hunt their food and they gather. They don't, have modern agriculture. They don't have livestock. They live the way that we think humans did for most of the time that we were on earth. And they're active, extremely active, way more active than the average Western couch potato. I mean, they're chasing their food down for miles. I mean, it, when they watch these people hunt, you're like, you're, you're hitting an animal and then you're running after it for, for 10 miles, right? Before it falls over from exhaustion. And then you, you, you get it and you kill it and you take it back another 10 miles, right? The gathering part, right? That's so much energy or, or should I say so much activity just to get so little energy, so little food. It's not like they, they have, you know, groves of fruit trees. They don't plant things. It's just what, what grows in nature. So scientists went down there and through some sophisticated testing, tested their metabolic rates and, their, and how many calories they were burning on a daily basis. How many calories are these people burning living this way? And what they found was at first unexpected and shocking, but then it made perfect sense. The Hadza tribes people weren't burning very many more calories than the average Western couch potato. In fact, it was almost statistically insignificant, the difference. So here you have somebody who's living in this tribe, who's running and moving all the time, and they're burning roughly the same calories as John, who sits at a desk all day long, comes home and then watches TV and goes to bed. How could this be possible? Well, evolutionarily speaking, it makes perfect sense. 
their metabolisms adapt and became efficient. Otherwise, they would not survive. They could not survive burning tons of calories. So what does this mean for us in this conversation right now? Well, let's examine the forms of exercise that those tribes people engage in mostly. Most of it's cardiovascular activity. Most of it. It's either in comparison, probably more like steady state cardio, like, you know, long, like walking and running with the occasional sprints, lots of activity. And what that send, that signal sends to the body is we need to become more efficient with our calorie burn. And so what you see in studies when people do only cardio type training in combination with calorie restriction, where they cut their calories, we tend to see about a 50% of their weight loss coming from muscle. And it's not the body burning muscle. It's the body paring muscle down to become more efficient with calories. Really no different than having an artificially intelligent car that would adapt to your driving uh, habits. If, if you were driving for 30 miles an hour for 400 miles a day, that car would organize itself to burn very, very little gas as versus, you know, driving the quarter mile for as fast as you can a couple times a day, in which case the car would build a huge engine and not worry too much about the amount of energy being expended. So what I'm not saying is that the way the Hadza people live is unhealthy. That's not at all what I'm saying. They're extremely healthy. What I am saying is if you're watching this or listening to this and you're honest with yourself and you're like, okay, the truth is, I know I, I know I get motivated sometimes, but here's the deal. Like, you know, I've lost weight and gained it back several times, like everybody else. I'm not going to do structured exercise every day. I'm not a fitness fanatic. The truth is I may do it two or three days a week. What form of exercise can I choose that's going to give me the most protection, the biggest bang for my buck, provide the best aesthetic results, that's important too, the best hormone response, and really protect me from this lifestyle that we've created that is can be potentially so damaging. And if in, in that context, it's resistance training. It just is hands down. It does, it does the best job in a head-to-head -head comparison. Now, again, I do want to be clear, the perfect routine contains many components to it. But again, if you only pick one, that's the one that I would choose if that was the situation that I was in. How do you define resistance training? So I'm glad you said that. Resistance training or strength training is not just working with resistance because I could grab a pair of dumbbells and do cardio with them, right? Resistance training is using resistance, which can be dumbbells, barbells, machines, resistance bands, body weight, in a way specifically to gain muscle and strength. And so it typically looks like your standard you know, resistance training that you'll see where you do a set and then you rest and then you do a set of repetitions, let's say eight to 12 or 20 to 30. So the goal really is to train kind of this anaerobic state. I'm building strength. I'm resting, allowing my ATP to build up. This is the muscle energy that's used for this type of training. And then I rest for a minute or so, and then I do it again versus going from exercise to exercise to exercise with no rest, which has its own value and benefits, but it doesn't build strength and muscle because you're training this aerobic state. You're training more for stamina and endurance. So really it's using resistance to get stronger. And when you do it in that way, that's what I'm referring to. That's the resistance training that I'm talking about. Yeah. As you're um, describing the, the hots of people, I'm, I'm thinking the thing that comes to mind is, is Joan Vernicos. She worked with NASA for a while and she mm. was, I think you and I may have talked about her before. I'm not familiar. Let found, me know. Yeah. Okay. So what she found working with astronauts, she worked with NASA for like 40 years or something. And she was studying them in space and observing, you know, the effects of zero gravity on their bodies. And what she found was that exposing them to one large, like CrossFit-esque blowout workout was significantly less beneficial 
to their overall health and well-being as far as like the the, the loss of of muscle mass and reduction in bone density and increase in you know fat and just all the things that happen when you're in space or when a person's in space found that adding titrates you know drops of yeah. fitness throughout the day was the most impactful for for maintaining their overall well-being and health and i think it's it's it would be pretty apparent that any more natural lifestyle human being hunter gatherer hot so wherever what travel travel situation um they're going to be and there was an, there was another specific there was some research done with the hots as well from university of southern california where they measured the amount of time that they're in resting positions and they found that they're in resting positions comparable to industrialized populations it was like between nine and ten hours a day but their resting position is a kneeling position or a squatting position it's active compared to ours the ground yeah right you know and so it's it's uh, i think it's it's not just the thing, you know, okay, cool. Like resistance training yeah. done. Got it. Our resistance training got like probably better than nothing. But then I think there's, there's subtleties to that as well. And then, so I think duration would be an interesting question yeah. to, to bring up. Yeah. So what I talk about in the book, so again, remember who I'm talking to, right? If I'm talking to just you, then you and I can talk about like really how to construct the perfect lifestyle, right? But we're talking to the average person and getting them to adhere to consistent routine is the hardest challenge that we have in the fitness industry. It's the most challenging thing that we have to deal with. You know, the fail rate on people working out is 80% in the first year. Okay. You extend that out two, three years and it's over 90%. So the vast majority of us gain the weight back or stop working out after about a year. It's just a, this is a real statistic. I sell this in, in gyms all the time. And I'm again, I'm talking to the average person. So we need to, the, the number one thing that we need to do is figure out how can we get these people to Number one, be consistent, but number two, provide them with the most bang for their buck or what we can expect. And part of that, aside from the resistance training part, is, is daily activity, but it's not structured daily activity. I think that that's a, a, a not as effective approach because people tend to be very inconsistent with that. But rather, what I like to do is I like to attach, and I wrote this in the book as well, I like to attach activity to things that people do anyway. So- one yeah. example, very simple one, is, hey, you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? Yes, I do. Try walking for 15 minutes after breakfast, after lunch, and after dinner. Very simple. It's attached to a ritual that we do every single day or most days. And it's going to give us you know, 45 minutes of added activity, which is a lot more than what the average person would be doing anyway. And then there's the, the small things that I took for granted when I first became a trainer, like taking the stairs instead of the elevator or parking further in the parking lot. Man, I used to laugh at that when I was a trainer. I used to scoff when people would say that they would do that. Then when I was uh, a little bit better and wiser and able to track steps and activity, I realized that those small things make a big difference. Like I remember one lady, she told me, and she wore a device. Back, this was one of the first kind of calorie tracking, metabolism tracking device called the Body Bug. This was years ago. She put it on and she said... Here's what I'm going to do, Sal. Instead of using the bathroom on my floor, I'll go up two flights of stairs and use the bathroom on the third floor. And then let's see what that looks like. And I thought, ah, it's not that big of a deal or whatever. It was like thousands of steps a day just because she took a, went to the further bathroom, which it wasn't even that far, but it was further than the one she would use before. And she, you know, she goes pee several times a day and it actually came out to a, a decent amount. So I talk about these things in the book as well, because what I don't want to do, and I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make in our space is we give lots of great advice. We talk about the science and what the best form of this exercise and that cardio, and here's what you know what you need to do with your food, and here's the ideal situation. 
but we completely discredit human behavior. We completely ignore how humans behave and who our audience is. And we are, look, if we're trying, at least I am, I know I'm trying to reach the average person and the average person, they, they're not going to be consistent with more than two or three days a week of structured exercise. That's if we're doing a great job, that's what we're getting two or three days a week. We're not going to get a bunch of structured exercise every single day, but we can get more activity throughout the day as long as it's attached to other things. And then for diet and nutrition, you know, some things I talk about in the book are behavioral applications rather than mechanistic applications of diet. Like I don't like to tell people, I do think it's important to learn macros and calories. It's important to educate yourself. So at least you know what has what in it, but I don't think it's an effective strategy long-term for most people to count calories and count macros and aim for targets. I think that's effective for fitness fanatics, but the average person doesn't work very well long-term. Instead, what I like to do is talk about behaviors. Like here's a good one, very easy one. And I would love doing this with clients. I'd say, look, I want you to eat until you're satisfied. So I don't want you to restrict yourself. Eat until you feel satisfied, but I just want you to avoid heavily processed foods. Let's just avoid that, but eat as much as you want of all the whole natural foods that you want. And they would all lose weight doing this. They would all lose body fat doing this. Now, why is that the case? Is it because heavily processed foods are uh, naturally, you know, make you gain body fat? Not necessarily. It's because heavily processed foods are engineered to make you eat more. And studies are very clear on this now. If you eat if your diet is made up of those foods predominantly, you're going to eat about 600 more calories a day. If you cut them out without realizing it, even eating until you're satisfied, you're going to eat less calories. You'll just eat less. So that's a behavioral approach, right? That's got more long-term stick than, hey, cut 600 calories out of your diet. Just do that. Track your food and, and cut those calories out, right? Another one would be um, not eating when you're distracted, right? I used to love telling people this. Like, if you eat... Don't do it in front of your computer. Don't do it while you're on your phone. Don't do it while watching TV. Just sit down and eat and think and pay attention to the food that's that you're putting in your mouth and just enjoy it. Studies show that that will typically result in a 10 to 15% drop in calories because that distracting aspect or when we're distracted, we tend to eat more. We tend to put more in our mouth <laughs> and chew and swallow more than we're for not. And so rather than telling people, count this, count that, cut this, here, try these behavioral aspects, you know, um, approaches, and they typically will result in you making better choices and decisions. And again, this all, all of the stuff that I'm talking about is based off of what works in the literature, but also what's going to work based on how most people behave and feel. That's very important. That's very, very important. And I don't think we can ignore that. I want to take a moment and talk about some of the most intelligent probiotics on the market. That is from my friends over at Seed. Seed's Daily Symbiotic is a pre and probiotic two in one capsule that supports your gut health, skin health, and so much more. There are 24 clinically and scientifically studied strains. I know the founder of Seed personally. I know that he's one of the smartest people I know, for one thing, and highly rigorous with the research around the probiotic. And uh, it's first of its kind, not to mention they're sustainably delivered every month. In your purchase, you'll get a glass jar that is infinitely refillable. Your monthly refills are delivered in compostable, biodegradable, and recyclable packaging. Plastic is a mofo and immensely grateful for seed doing the work to alleviate the planet of more plastic that is additive 
indicative or indicative of the detail that they pay attention to every aspect of this product. Uh, they have a money back guarantee. So if you don't feel a change in your body from taking this stuff, get your money back, nothing to worry about. I've been using seed off and on for the last year. And when I'm on seed, I notice better energy levels, better digestion. I just feel like lighter. So I think that you guys will get a lot of value out of this stuff for sure. And you get yourself a discount on your first order by going over to seed.com slash align. That's S-E-E-D.com slash align. What an impressive URL. They got seed.com. Holy crap. Seed.com slash line, 15% off. If this stuff does not change your life, get your money back. Um, I think you guys are going to dig it. That's it. That's all. Seed.com forward slash line. Lastly, I want to thank Magnesium for supporting my muscular regeneration, uh, my relaxation, my sleep. It's been one of the most important supplements for me uh, over the years. I've, I take magnesium before I go to bed every night, and magnesium that I choose is from Mag Breakthrough from BioOptimizers. I really love this stuff. Um, I trust the sourcing. I know the owner personally, and I think it's as good as it gets when it comes to magnesium. And uh, it's got all seven different forms of magnesium. Magnesium is widely deficient in modern Americans because it's deficient in modern day soil. So it's one of those things that you're probably deficient and uh, it would be supportive for your sleep and muscular repair and regeneration. And you get yourself a sweet discount by going over to magbreakthrough.com forward slash align podcast. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com forward slash align podcast for a 10% discount on your purchase, 100% money back guarantee. If this does not improve your sleep, if it does not make your muscles feel more relaxed, if it's not helpful with uh, muscular repair after training, any of that stuff, get your money back. You got absolutely nothing to lose. Jump over to magbreakthrough.com forward slash align podcast to get some magnesium in your life. Yeah. The other thing you mentioned was factors in relation to all cause mortality and research around that. And I think you're probably familiar with the, it was the longest longitudinal study. I think it was done in Harvard from starting like the 20s, really long time ago. And they followed this group of humans for the duration of their life and also their offspring and found that community was, you know, the number one yeah. factor for for longevity with people. And I think so much of that is, you know, having purpose, you know, and I think we're, we're we, we like to show up for each other. Like we like to have the accountability with each other. And I think that likely, as you're saying that there's 80%, there's non-adherence to people working out or like staying with their programs or whatever. I think it's probably because in large part, it's like an aberration of natural human function to go into a, a gym box and be by yourself and just contract muscles kind of semi-aimlessly, unless you have the story that there's purpose there. But in order to cultivate that story, um, not, not everyone's going to have that story downloaded. Yeah. In it, no, that's know, so, but 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 the accountability part and the human yeah. part and and that I think there's a lot of there's a lot of other variables you know in, invisible or, or or let to yet to be visible factors in that. Yeah, there, there's more to that too. So yeah, you, I mean you're touching on something very important. I mean there was a study done out of Stanford that showed that having poor relationships was as bad for your health 
as smoking 10 cigarettes a day, just to highlight how important yeah. it is to have good and relate. And there's, by the way, there's a lot to unpack there, right? There's, I remember I went to Yellowstone and uh, my wife and I went through Montana and we loved it. And we were talking to people there and I did not know that Montana had a high suicide rate. And I said, that's weird. And, you know, one of the residents said, yeah, a lot of people are isolated because it's such a big space. And, you know, when you have people around you, they can identify when you may be showing these symptoms of depression and they can jump in and help you. And I thought, oh, wow, you know, there's so many benefits to having good people around you that I don't even think we can begin to even quantify. We, we could start making a list, but I think it would be endless. As far as the, the fail rate, I'll, I'll say this. Yes, accountability helps, community helps, that's big. We see that in cultures where exercise is a part of the culture, that people are much more consistent. For example, many Asian cultures, it is it is it's totally part of the culture to wake up and exercise out in the, you know, outside in the morning, Tai Chi, or go to the park, or other cultures, it's, it's a part of the culture to walk after you eat dinner with the family. And so you see consistency there. But there's one other thing that I think that is equally as important. And that is we don't enter in. And when I say we, I mean most people. We don't enter into a fitness and health journey, for lack of a better term, for the right reasons. Okay. So what does that mean? Well, most people, when they're ready to start working out, and I would see this every January managing gyms. Every January, we get a 50% increase, at least in, in guest traffic, right? People start off and why do they, how do they start off? Oh man, I'm fat. I'm ugly. I'm gross. I, I, that's it. I'm going to work out, right? So it's coming from a place of self-hate or shame or disgust. So that, what, that, what does that do? Workout is my punishment. Now I'm going to work. I just, you know what? I ate that burrito last night. I'm going to go, I'm going to go beat myself up in that aerobics class, or I'm going to get on the treadmill and sweat it off. Like how many times have you heard that? Right? So now the workout is this punishment. It's, I hate myself. I'm ugly. This is what I deserve. This is what I need to do to change who I am because I hate myself. Diet becomes the same thing, right? You create this alternate persona within yourself that says, it's like this tyrannical parent that says, you're fat, you can't eat that cookie. And then you're the child that says, okay, I won't eat that cookie. And then your friend says, hey, you want a cookie? And you say, no, I can't, right? Like, what do you mean you can't? Like, you, of course you can. What do you mean you can't? Where's that coming from, right? It's coming from this wrong approach to nutrition and health. You know, years ago, and this really became a, just apparent to me years ago, I went to a Christmas party with uh, my ex-wife. And she worked in a tech company and we were sitting at this big table with all these people and nobody was in, in the fitness space. So I was the only one. Right. And, you know, people were going around the table talking and I'm introducing myself. And, you know, what typically happens whenever you're around a bunch of non-fitness fanatics and you're eating a meal and you tell them that you're in the fitness or health space, they immediately become very self-aware of what they're eating and they'll make comments like, oh, I'm going to eat this bread. Don't pay attention. Or, you know, or they'll watch what I'm eating. Oh, why aren't you eating that? You know, you can have more wine. Don't worry about it. So those comments were happening, but it was okay. And we we're having a good time. And the, the wine started flowing. And then there was this lady that was across from me. And she looks at me and she goes, you know what, Sal? She goes, I had a friend that was a fitness fanatic like you. She loved exercising and she ate perfect. And then she got breast cancer and she died at the age of 50. And so, you know what? When that happened, I said to myself, you know what? Screw working out and eating right. I'm just going to enjoy my life. And I remember thinking to myself, what a strange thing to say. As if being healthy and taking care of yourself was not enjoying your life or improving the quality of my life, right? Like I knew that if I could magically snap my fingers and make that woman fit and healthy, however much she thinks she's enjoying her life now, it would it would grow exponentially. It would be a much better, different experience. And I, and I, went, I went home that day and I thought, that is so weird. I hear people say that all the time. That is so strange. And, I, and it, that's when it came to me. 
People are exercising because they're punishing themselves and they're restricting themselves because of the same thing. No wonder people rebel, right? Because what happens after someone goes off a diet, Aaron? What, what The average person goes on a diet, right? And they're like really strict. No, I can't have that cookie. No, I can't have that pizza. No, I can't have that beer. Strict, 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 strict. And then at some point, they don't just go off the diet and have like a cookie. They have a whole box of cookies, like something that they normally wouldn't even do. Like, where does that come from? That's a child rebelling from the tyranny, right? That's the child saying, I'm sorry, I'm fat. Uh, and then eventually saying, screw you, I'm going to do what I want. And then they go off and go crazy, just like a teenager would or, or a kid would. So the, re the truth is the fail rate, a lot of it comes from, here's the roots. The roots are, you got to do it because you're caring for yourself. I am not going to the gym because I'm fat and I'm ugly and I don't like the way I look. I'm going to the gym because I deserve to be taken care of. And you can be honest with yourself. Look, I haven't been taking care of myself very well. I'm going to take care of myself now. By the way, that makes the workouts much more balanced. I'm more likely to choose appropriate exercise when I go in there thinking I'm going to take care of myself. Rather than training too intensely when I don't need to or beating myself up, I may go in there and say, man, I am tired. I need to take care of myself. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stretch or I'm going to take that yeah. yoga class or I'm going to do that light workout, right? It, it Also, I want to go, who doesn't want to take care of themselves? Now, what about diet? Well, if I'm eating to take care of myself, most of the time, that means I'm probably going to eat foods that are healthy, that nourish my body, that are nutrient dense, that help with my digestion and my performance and how I feel. But sometimes what does taking care of myself mean when it comes to food? Well, maybe I've seen my friend Aaron. I haven't seen him in a while. And, you know, we're going to be connecting over some beer and pizza, right? This is right now taking care of myself is the relationship and enjoying the the moment, maybe the, 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 the palatability of the pizza. And I haven't eaten in a while and we're having a good time. Or maybe I'm going to Christmas and my aunt makes that pie that she makes once a year. And right now taking care of myself means that. It, it, it also provides more balance. I'm not going to binge as often, because that's not really taking care of myself, right? I'm going to probably eat healthy most of the time. As it's, it's really no different than if you had a child and your kid came up to you and said, hey, can I have candy every single day? And most of the times you'd be like, no, not today, son. But sometimes you're like, here, here's a piece of candy. It's not a big deal. So I, I think if we go into nutrition and exercise and fitness and health with the mentality that I want to take care of me, I deserve to be taken care of. I deserve to feel better. I deserve to have mobility. I deserve to feel the energy of being healthy. I think if you go up from that point, you're, the likelihood that you'll be consistent um, is much higher. And now there's much more to that, right? There's also the motivated state of mind that we need to be aware of. Okay, The motivated state of mind. I know that sounds weird, right? Beware of the motivated state of mind. Why? That's such a fun state of mind to be in, right? Everybody loves to be motivated and inspired. Well, here's a challenge. When you're motivated and inspired, you make choices or commitments that the unmotivated version of you probably wouldn't be able to maintain. So again, I used to see this all the time in gyms in January. People come in, they just got out of the holidays, maybe they gained some weight, that's it, I'm ready to work out. And I signed someone up and, you know, no, I haven't worked out in five years, but I'm going to come five days a week. Like, hold on a second. You haven't exercised in five years, five days a week is too big of a commitment to get started. I know you're motivated and excited, but why don't we work on building the skill of discipline, which sticks around, right? Discipline is what keeps you consistent when you're not motivated because that motivated state of mind is not permanent. It never is. It's like any other state of mind. It comes and it goes. I never had a client that I had to tell to work out that was motivated. They just did it. It's when they weren't motivated that was a challenge. So rather than, you know, when you're in that motivated state of mind and saying, I'm going to do all this stuff, ask yourself this, what could my unmotivated self do and do forever? Start there. However small that is, start there. Allow that to build momentum 
and then add upon that. And then what you do is you end up building the skill of discipline over time. Starts off slow, but it does compound. And then you're much more likely to be consistent long-term. I love that. I wonder what kind of culture forms a non, maybe you could say infantilized adult Mm. that's kind of seeking self-punishment and to do naughty things like, you know, get around their mom or their dad, but actually come into like a, you know, a whole version of themselves. Yeah. Do you think that's a a cultural thing? Well, I think that's a tough one. You know, I have kids, I have three kids. And if I, I know this, because I've seen this, if I raise them in ways where they feel tyrannized, they will rebel. Mm -hmm. They will, they will either behind my back or when they move out, right. Or in front of my face. So I have to give them, I have to make them feel somewhat autonomous and I have to help them develop a sense of responsibility in order to help them be successful in life. And that's just true. I mean, you could read all the literature on raising kids. You can even think about it for yourself when you were a kid. I think for ourselves, part of it is this. We've glamorized very difficult to attain bodies. So it's the 5% body fat guy and the girl with the boobs in the butt and everybody looks perfect and it's super sexy and it's not attainable or realistic for most people. And we've placed so much value that's not accurate, so much inaccurate value on that, that we think if I just look like that, I'm going to be so happy. It's funny. Arthur Brooks is a good friend of mine. He's a very, very smart professor out of Harvard. He's an expert on happiness. And he explained to me the literature and he says, you know, it's funny. He goes, if you go from being a six on a scale of one to 10, a six in attractiveness to a 10 in attractiveness, you move up 0.1 in happiness. He goes, that's how little it matters in terms of happiness. Now, if you are exercising and improving your health and having better relationships, and if the road to getting to looking better was through this kind of good process, then you'll get more of a return. But just looking better, it doesn't give you the happiness that you think. So that's part of the problem. The other part of the problem is the fitness and health industry, the popular media fitness and health industry. We know that it's easy to sell people products by preying on their insecurities and by preying on the motivated state of mind, okay? Look at the popular workout program. Beachbody sells some of the most popular workout programs. Look at them. You know, it's like, go, go, go. You can do it. Yeah. You know, watch The Biggest Loser on TV. Look how they're taking these super obese people and getting them to lose weight. It's the worst possible way. They beat the crap out of them. They're throwing up. They're, it's the boot camp style. You can do this inspiration, motivation. Even they have an 80% fail rate. They gain the weight back afterwards. So I think that's part of it is that that's what we're advertised to. That's what we see. Oh, that's what's effective. I'm just not motivated. I need to be, I need to have my butt kicked. You know, as a trainer, you know how many clients would say, oh, you know, I want you to kick my butt. (laughs) Okay. That's not going to be an effective long-term approach, but that's what they think. Number one is going to be effective. And number two, well, that's what I deserve because I'm whatever, fat, ugly, gross. I deserve to have my butt kicked. This is what I need. Right. So there's a lot of factors that play into that. And you know, both through my podcast and through the book, I'm really trying to change that. It's not easy though, because I'm competing with very effective, sexy marketing. I'm competing against the guy that says, lose 30 pounds in 30 days by taking this pill. And I'm saying, it'll take you a year to lose 30 pounds. And it's going to be these fundamental lifestyle changes. And you know, it's all these other things, but I'm trying. And uh, I hope that the message spreads that way. I hope that the fitness industry has been around long enough and failed long enough to where people are starting to wake up a little bit. Yeah. I appreciate it, man. We got to wrap this thing up, but I'm so grateful to get to share some moments with you anytime we get to do it that's a good time um so i subscribe to your stuff i'm like a fan you know i I really appreciate the work that you do and the way that you think about things so the resistance training revolution is out there people get it any anywhere anywhere yeah amazon target wherever 
Oh, cool. And then Mind Pump is a podcast, which That's I've been it. on there a couple times. You've been on there twice, yeah. Yeah, I just so greatly appreciate you, man. I appreciate you making time to do this, and I appreciate the aggregate of your life to bring these thoughts to this moment. I really appreciate getting to getting to share it. Thanks, Aaron. So, yeah, that's it. That's all. Thank you all for tuning in. Over now. Hope you guys dug that conversation. Once again, thank you, Jessa Fu, for leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Just takes a second to leave a review on your cell phone. Just scroll down, click whatever star rating you think, hopefully five stars if you think we deserve it. And that's it. Super simple. Great way to support the podcast. Uh, thank you for subscribing. Thank you for doing you. Hopefully you are implementing this information into your life. If you want to share this conversation, Instagram be like the place. You can tag me over at Lion Podcast. You can tag Sal over at Mind Pump Sal. And we appreciate you. Um, thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next week. Big kisses. Mwah.